So here we go. We're, as, as many of you know, we're, doing a, uh, we're teaching through Ephesians. We're doing a series within a series. We've been talking about marriage over the past few weeks. And uh, we're going to continue for a couple more weeks. Uh, next week, we'll move on to talking more specifically about the family relationships, the parent-child. And then we'll, we'll do one other uh, final message in this particular series on uh, the single life. We want to include that. I've had many singles say, you know, when are you going to say something to us? And so that'll be a couple of weeks from now. But over the past few weeks, as many of you would know, we, uh, we, we looked at marriage. We looked at just the, the general biblical picture of marriage. Then we looked at the, the role of the wife. We looked at that uh, specifically. And then last week, we looked together at the role of the husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And we, we took an in-depth look at that. So today we're going to come back and kind of just wrap this portion up, just the husband and wife portion up, uh, by looking at verse 33. Again, husbands, love your wives. Wives, uh, see that you respect your husbands. And so all the way through the series, I have been thinking that at some point, it would be really great if um, my wife could join me and we could do a little bit of a team teaching thing. So this morning... That is going to happen. So Cheryl's going to come out right now. And um, we're going to do this together. And we've already done this twice together this morning. So uh, we're excited to do it again and expecting God to help us through the session, just as he has done with the, the other couple this morning. So anyway, just give you a little bit of background all, all week long, I... Or last week, I informed her, you know, next Sunday, we're going to do this. And um, she was kind of apprehensive about it and everything. But, uh, you know, I said, remember, this is where submission comes in. And so here she is, a good submissive wife uh, with us this morning. But yesterday, as we were kind of going back and forth on sharing different ideas of what we, we were going to talk about and you know, looking up different uh, things, and as she came across a story and she read it to me, and I thought she was reading it to me because she wanted to give it to me to use. I found out later that she was thinking about using it, and I sort of stole it from her, so I'm giving her credit right up front. But I, it does apply more you know, for, for the men, so I'm the more appropriate one to do this. But it's, the, it, it's about the deep-sea anglerfish, the deep-sea anglerfish. Maybe you've seen a picture of those really ugly uh, fish are found way, way, way down in the depths of the ocean, and they've got that really um, extended lower jaw, and then they've got this, this looks like a fishing pole attached to their nose. Anyway, an interesting story about the anglerfish. Here it is. Uh, male black sea devils is what they're called, have a much shorter lifespan than females and are much tinier in comparison. Here's the significant part. Their sole purpose is to attach themselves to a female living as a parasite. If they don't find a female, they are not even properly equipped to eat. So I thought, you know, there's, there's something in this. There, there's a similarity between human males and the anglerfish males. And um, I think had I not attached myself as a parasite to Cheryl many, many years ago, I, I never really would have eaten anything uh, beneficial or healthy. She's kept me fed quite well for the past 34 years. So I just thought that that was a, a relevant story to begin with today. 
So the points that we want to address today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at it from the position of love. There, Paul says in verse 33, love your wives again. And then she's going to look at it from the standpoint of respect. And so we just got a few points here, and we're going to go back and forth. But, you know, as I was thinking through this, we, we've talked about a lot of things as we've looked at the, the role of the wife, as we looked at the role of the husband. But I was thinking about a few things that we haven't specifically addressed. And so uh, these are the things that we're going to uh, talk about here now. And the first one is um, just pertaining to the whole issue of feelings in the marital relationship, fluctuating feelings. And so the first point is love and feelings. And the question is, what do you do when you don't have that love and feeling? Remember that song um, from years ago? Um, what, but what, what happens when that um, dissipates? What happens when that's not really at, at the forefront of your emotional experience? Uh, some people think that, well, because we've lost the, the feeling, we, because we've lost that love and feeling, maybe, uh, you know, maybe we made a mistake in getting married, or maybe this is a sign that we're, you know, we're not meant to be together. Uh, maybe this is a, an omen that our, our marriage is doomed to fail. Uh, but we need to know that that's not the case at all. Because, of course, feelings fluctuate, but as we pointed out previously, Love is not primarily a feeling. You remember that love is a choice, not a feeling. That love is a commitment, an act of the will, rather than an emotion. So the truth is, whenever I'm, I'm having those fluctuations in my feelings or in my emotions... I'm not to let that bother me. I'm not to let that move me. I'm just to really, you know, press forward with the the commitment that I made. Go back and think of the the vows that we take. Uh, mo- most of you, I would imagine, when you got married, you took the traditional vows, uh, vows to. Um, you know, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, uh, till death do us part. You notice as you think about those vows, uh, there, there's nothing in there really about emotion or feeling. It's just all about commitment through these things. And the truth of the matter is this. Regardless of how you feel, you keep doing the things that love does. And when feelings are absolutely necessary, they will be there. But, but we, we just keep doing the things that love does because love, remember, is a commitment. Feelings are going to go back and forth. Feelings are going to fluctuate. But that doesn't change anything. Don't let that uh, trip you up into thinking that, well, maybe this is never going to work or maybe this was never right in the first place because I, I no longer have those feelings. That's not what it's about. Now, personally, I've never had any fluctuating feelings. I have had just deep emotional uh, passion for Cheryl from the day one, but uh, she's expressed that occasionally she's lost the love and feeling, but um, <laughs> it's when I don't shave and I look more like a homeless person than... Uh, the guy she married, but uh, we're still together. So you can see that she's doing what I'm talking about here. So there you go. That's the introduction. Yesterday was that homeless day. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, yesterday was a homeless day. I never, uh, I never changed out of my pajamas yesterday. We're so real. I don't know if this is safe. I want to talk about respect. If you want to know what that looked like, just find Pastor Ken Sutton and look at what he looks like today. That's what I looked like yesterday. <laughs> but notice, I changed to come to church. I actually did shave and put on proper clothing, something Ken did not do. <laughs> but this isn't about Ken. This is about love and respect. Go ahead. Thank you. She's being very respectful, isn't she? So I want to talk about respect in restoring the emotions and the affections to marriage. So the word there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, is the word phobia, which in the Greek means to reverence or deference, to value, appreciate, or esteem. Interestingly enough, in 1965, Otis Redding wrote and recorded the song, Respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Find Out What It Means to Me. And he wrote it about his wife. And he said, all I'm asking is when I come home for a little respect. Well, it hit number 35 on the charts. Two years later, Aretha Franklin took that song, recorded it. It went to number one, and it sustained that place. She won two Grammys. What does that say? It says that women want respect, but we don't want to give it. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, because you would have gotten a ooh. I would have gotten in big trouble. Yeah, these are my people. (laughs) Women are natural responders. We reciprocate. We're more likely to send the thank you or to think that we need to send a thank you or feel guilty over not sending a thank you than men. They're like, well, why should we thank them? We went to dinner at their house. They got our company. Present company excluded. But we're we're more likely, we're responders. But we need to begin to develop that respect, especially in our marriage, especially if we want the affection to return. And I'm going to give you five practical ways just to work on the respect towards affection. First of all, appreciate. Just simply being thankful. Thankful for what the Lord has given you. You know, I remember being in England and this, Brian had counseled this man and he And the man said, look, you know, it's not going well in my marriage. And he said, have your wife talk to Cheryl. So I was prepared and she came walking towards me. She looked scared. She was even shaking, you know, because she had to say, you know, I've lost that love and feeling. And now she um, came to me. I said, I know, I know, I know. I know what it's like. I know that the affections are ebbing. I said, but I bet he was so handsome at one time, right? She's like, mm. And I said, and you couldn't wait to marry that man. Mm. And I said, but now sometimes he doesn't smell so good. Mm. And I said, and, and his muscles aren't quite as taut. Oh. And I said, and there's a little bit of a tummy now where there used to be like a six pack or an eight pack or whatever it is, the pack. And she's like, oh. 
And I said, you know what? That happens to everybody, but this is the opportunity for real love because that man is there and that man loves you. And that man is putting up with so much. And the Lord began to, to speak Thanksgiving into her life. You know, we have to remember years ago, uh, a friend of mine was doing her joyful life homework and it had for day two, 10 reasons to be thankful for your husband. She had to put it down and really think about it. It took her three days to come up with eight reasons. She hadn't finished the last two. And she had set it down on her kitchen counter just with eight filled out. She couldn't even move on to day three or day four. She had to finish that day. And her husband came home unexpectedly for work. And she came around the corner and there he was with her homework. And he took it and he said, do you mean this? Do you mean this? And she said, yes, I put a lot of thought into that. And he said, I had no idea that you appreciated me. I have felt so unappreciated. And they prayed together to renew their marriage together. So we need to appreciate. Secondly, we need to think about what our husband does. He works sometimes at a job that he hates, but just simply to bring support and money into the home. He comes home every night. That's big. He keeps coming home every night. He protects the home. He defends the home. He loves your children. You know, that's one of the greatest things, you know, that Brian loves my kids and I love his kids, which happen to be the same kids as he brought out second service. I love his grandkids. He loves my grandkids. Again, the same grandkids. Uh, I say that only because when we were in England, Somebody came up and asked me how long we had been married. And I said, the first thing that came into my mind was 11. I don't know why that number came in. We've been married 16 years, but 11 came to mind. So they looked at me and they said, oh, really? Now your first children, who do they belong to? And I, are they Brian's? I said, no, they're mine. Oh, so where's their father? I said, Brian's their father. They said, oh, were you partnered up? I said, no, we were married. And they're like, oh, I said, how long did I say I was married? They said, 11. I said, 16. They're like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> but, you know, even if you're mad at your spouse, don't they have cute kids? <laughs> Didn't they make some great kids? Also, we need to think about what we are building. Proverbs 14, one says, a wise woman builds her house, but the fool plucks it down with her own hands. How do we build our house? Well, we build it on the word of God, according to Matthew chapter seven. We build it with lots and lots of prayer. We build it as we pray for affection in our marriage. And God often lets the inadequate and the lesser run out that he might give us the greater, the greater bricks with which to build, the better wine in John chapter two. Then we need to put ourselves in their shoes. What is life like for them? They're going out into the workplace. They've got these temptations all around them. What is it like for our husbands? I have a friend whose husband was always saying to her, I wish you would just understand how hard my life was. Well, she felt like he was a bit of a complainer and he just needed to move on. And she used to say that to him. At the same time, she was praying that he would take the spiritual lead in the house. One morning, she got up early. She's praying that he take the spiritual lead. 
The Lord gave her a vision and she saw her husband's life from birth up to his teenage years. And she began to cry because it was so hard and it was so bitter. And he came out of the bedroom about that time and he said, what's going on? And she said, the Lord gave me a vision of what your life has been. And I'm so sorry that I haven't been more sympathetic, that I I just never knew. And he said, now I can trust you. I never felt like I could trust you with my heart and with my pain. And he sat down with her and he told her even more of the things he was going through. Um, They prayed together. At this point, he said, let's read our Bibles together and let's read Luke. And she said, no, let's read Philippians. And he said, no, let's read Luke. And she said, no, I really want to read Philippians. And he said, you're doing it again. And she realized that in that she was taking the lead away from him and she needed to give him that respect. And then get rid of unreal expectations. Now, this is going to be hard for some of you, but I have to say it. Mr. Darcy never existed. (laughs) Mr. Darcy is the figment of an English spinster's mind. I know. I'm disappointed too. Most men don't talk like that. They don't have posh English accents. Just doesn't happen. And we need to remember that because the comparisons are so dangerous in marriage. And that brings in disrespect. And it it causes us to be unaffected. And we need to have that affection. So we can't compare. This is the gift that God gave me. This is God's gift to me, and I need to recognize it as such. Finally, we need to recognize our own need for grace. I, and this is also hard to say, I am not the easiest person to live with. I mean, passionate is one word I like to call it, but there are other words not as nice. But when I remember that I'm not that easy to live with, then I have so much more appreciation and respect for him for coming home and putting up with me. So as we bring this grace into our marriage, it will help to bring the affection back. Well, the truth of the matter is, um, Cheryl's fairly easy to live with. She's very, very, it's very difficult to drive with her, but to live with her is... uh, (laughs) Live with her is pretty easy. Uh, driving's another story because she, she is the quintessential backseat driver. I'm a GPS. <laughs> so this leads very well into the next subject, and that's love and conflict. Now, again, as I said earlier, you know, kind of thinking through some of the things that we felt like we might want to touch on here in the final session, uh, this, this one to me is huge because a love-filled marriage will not necessarily be a conflict-free marriage. You know, sometimes people get the idea, maybe it's because some others give the impression, you know, that, that if you really have a loving marriage, if you really have a godly marriage, you're never going to have a disagreement, you're never going to have a dispute, you're never going to have an argument. Um, but that really isn't the case. And, and if you have those things, it doesn't mean that you have a bad marriage. Um, I like to just 
refer to it as a lively marriage. Uh, Cheryl and I have a lively marriage. There's a lot of, uh, she mentioned first service, the, uh, the proverb, you know, it's, it's uh, iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens the countenance of his friend. But when you think about iron sharpening iron, what happens in that process? There are sparks that fly, right? And so sometimes that's the case. And, and I look over our years together, and we've had a lively, spark-filled uh, <laughs> marital experience. But, you know, we can, we can stand before you today and say, you know, we, we absolutely love each other despite all of the disputes that we've had. I've often shared this. In our first year of marriage, I, I think we had a pretty serious dispute every single day for the first year. We, uh, 365 days, that we would, we would find something uh, every day to just get in a serious argument over. Uh, year two, I think we did it every other day. And, you know, maybe by the third year, we were maybe three, four times a week. But, you know, the, the, that whole thing just, uh, they, were, they were fewer and, and farther between. And I think after the 10-year mark, you know, then we used to have a good... You know, we used to have a good row every, you know, once a month or something. And, uh, and now it's amazing after three and a half decades together, we, you know, it's like every few years we'll have a good knockdown drag out. But, <laughs> but you know, that, that's quite a, a bit of progress, as you can see, from every day to now. You know, sometimes there's years in between. Sometimes when we're getting into a, a pretty, you know, serious dispute, uh, we'll think, wow, it's been a long time since we've been in anything like this. Now, all week long, we have been uh, walking on eggshells around each other because I told her in the early part of the week we were going to do this. And, and then I thought, boy, you know, something is going to try to wreck this thing. So I, I've been very sensitive to, to not take the bait uh, as, you know, opportunities would come. And I'm sure that I gave her a few opportunities that she refused to take the bait on as well. Um, but listen, just because you have these kinds of disputes and things, it doesn't mean that there's not genuine love uh, in the marriage. A few years ago, we had a couple's retreat from our church right here. Some of you might have been there. And uh, Cheryl and I were the guest speakers for the weekend, and we were doing the main brunt of the teaching. And so we got there. Of course, it starts Friday night, so we did Friday night. We had a great time. And Sunday, or Saturday morning, we, we had you know, a session, and we did quite well. But between the, the Saturday morning session and the evening session, something happened. There was a dispute that arose between us. And it became so contentious that she said, forget it. You're on your own, buddy. I am not going back up there and speaking. Uh, it's over. Uh, I am, you know, you go talk to people about marriage. I'm not coming with you. So, of course, there was nothing I could do to convince her that she ought to just do it because it was the right thing to do. She refused to do it. So there I was Saturday night. I was up speaking at the marriage retreat on marriage by myself with my wife in the room. Now, that wasn't the worst part of it. The worst part of it was the whole time I was teaching, she was texting me little messages like, okay, you big hypocrite, tell everybody 
how to love their wives, tell them what a great husband you are. And uh, it was a pretty tough night to, uh, to keep my focus. Listen, wherever you're at in your marriage, know there's hope. We are living proof that there is hope. So, you know, I don't buy this idea that, um, you know, people never fight and, well, you know, if you were really a mature Christian, you wouldn't have anything like that. Uh, again, quite a few years back, we were, uh, we were scheduled to go out to dinner for my oldest son's birthday. And we got in a little argument, and, and Cheryl decided, you know, she couldn't go. She had something else to do. So we went without her, and we were meeting another couple there, another family there. So we went down and started to have the dinner. And then she called and said, okay, you know, I finished what I needed to do. I'm, I'm going to come down now. So, so she came and joined us. And, at, you know, as she came up to the table, she kind of said sheepishly to everybody, oh, you know, sorry, we, you know, Brian and I had a little bit of a disagreement, but, you know, here I am. And she said, you know what that's like. And they just looked at her with stone faces and said, no, we don't know what that's like. <laughs> and she said, oh, of course you do. You're just kidding, right? No, we're not kidding. We've never had a fight. And so she felt completely humiliated. She felt totally embarrassed. We made it through the dinner. And on the way home, she turned to me and she said, listen, we've got to quit this fighting. I never want to fight with you again. We, we can't fight anymore. And I said, oh, be quiet. We're going to keep fighting. <laughs> because this is just who we are. This is how we communicate. And beside that, I said, did you believe for one moment those guys don't fight? They were lying. Of course they fight. <laughs> if you're breathing and you're a man and a woman in a marital relationship, you're going to have disagreements. You're going to have disputes. It's just the reality. It's the way it is. But the good news is it doesn't mean that there's not love. It doesn't mean that you don't have a good marriage. It just means, like I said, you have a lively marriage. <laughs> now, of course, as time goes on, like I said, uh, you, you need to make progress in this area. But we, we, still, you know, we still have our little things here and there. Uh, our daughter is staying with us right now for a few days from New York, and she was telling us uh, that the other night they were putting their eight-year-old to bed, and uh, they were praying with him, and then he started to pray. And so he started to pray for his mom and dad, and he's, you know, Lord, I just pray that you bless my parents, and I thank you for my parents. And then she said, and all of a sudden he goes, and I pray that you would help them not to want to kill each other. <laughs> And they both looked at each other like, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, so. But they're doing well, apart from wanting to kill each other. So just because there's conflict doesn't mean there's not love. So what do you do? You grow past it. You, you take these things, and, and they become constructive. They, they become uh, ways to grow. And sometimes... In the course of those disputes, I will be getting great insight into Cheryl. It's like, okay, I realize when I'm listening to her, she's, she needs me to hear her on this. I need to change the way I think or feel or whatever. So um, the important thing in the marital relationship is communication. And sometimes if you have to communicate at a little higher volume, 
that's okay. Don't be, don't be condemned over it. Um, it's just, in some cases, that's just the way it is. Right? Yes, but... Okay. He had spent a couple thousand dollars with one of my daughters, not telling me, it, at the retreat. It was a financial investment, and it was... It, it put us in a bind. And I was angry. I... And that's what made my fingers move on the telephone and the text. In fact, up until that point, I really didn't know how to text, but boy, did I learn fast. I can't remember the other situation, but I love the way he just like sugarcoats it because I'm thinking, wait, no, there was more to that. I remembered there was more to that, but now I'm going to stick with my notes. Respect and conflict. All right. When we have conflict, our goal is conflict resolution. We want to get someplace. We want to be better off because we've had this conflict than when we went into it. And so part of that is to be respectful as women. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Words are powerful. I know they told you sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you. Not true. Especially as women, we tend to remember that name or that thing that we were called. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Then Proverbs 12.18 says, There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Women often feel powerless. We are the weaker vessel, and when we can't get our men to hear or to understand, to move or to stop, we'll use the strongest weapon we have. And unfortunately, that tends to be mean words. We say things like jerk, stupid, with emphasis. And we say dumb, dumb head, only because I was raised in a Christian home and that's as bad as it can get. But we say these things, and we don't mean it. We really don't mean it. If you were a dum-dum head, we could take over the marriage. Obviously, we don't mean it, because this is, this is what we do when we're desperate. And yet, the minute that we begin to use these demeaning words, the man shuts down, the man stops listening, and he can't hear. And we need to pray. We need to pray that we can have constructive words, In Ephesians 4.29, it says, Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only that which is edifying. We need language that will build up, that will move us towards conflict resolution. In Matthew 7.12, Jesus said, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We need to speak as we desire to be spoken to. In fact, sometimes... Um, Brian is really, really good at tuning me out, and he's really good at spending time with his cell phone. So what I do is when I see that I'm not being heard, instead of using those mean words, I'll say, you know, I'll ask him a question like, Brian, did you realize that um, how clean the kitchen looked today? Oh, yes, I did. Why, that was one of the cleanest kitchens I have ever seen in my life. Oh, Cheryl, no one can get those counters to sparkle like you. How blessed I am to have a wife that does the dishes and only does the dishes. 
will make me food, will go to the market. I am a blessed, blessed man. And by the way, did I tell you you look younger every day? How blessed I am. Many have done nobly, but I have done so well. I just say through him what I need to hear. I'm sticking with you, baby. You're the one for me. It helps pass the time. But talk and speak as you want to be spoken to. How you want to be addressed. If they're not listening, try it. Do their voice. Get the imitation down. Even Brian says sometimes he just goes quiet to hear what I'm going to say. Or what he's going to say. So there are certain phrases that shouldn't be used. Never say never. Don't say you never or you always. It's better to say things like I feel like and this is how I feel because it gives them a way out because we women are so good at assuming and presuming. These are our gifts and our curse. We, we tend to, if he says, you look really good today. Oh, that means every other day of the year I look terrible. That's what you're saying. Or I really like this chicken. Oh, so you didn't like the beef that I cooked yesterday? You know, we have this way of assuming and presuming and reading between the lines things that never even came into their minds. I, I know that when Brian fell in love with Indian food, I was sure he wanted to leave me for a nice Indian woman who could do a good curry. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's true, just like me texting him. But, you know, we assume and we presume and we have to stop that because we, we might not mean what we say, but they pretty much do. That's it. There's no delving deeper. It's, I said you're pretty. I meant P-R-E-T-T-Y. Pretty. Or is it P-E-R-T-T? Pretty. Pretty or pretty? That's why they have to go to their phone and do spell check. In Colossians 4, 6, it says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to, you ought to answer each one. It's so important that we have those, that gracious speech, those gracious words, and that we speak grace when, when we're in conflict. Again, treating them as we would like to be treated, using words that we would like to hear. That's that's going to lead us to conflict resolution and not to bitterness and anger and resentment. It is um, fascinating to me the uh, conclusions that Cheryl can draw from certain statements that I make that have absolutely never, ever crossed my mind. Such as, I really like curry, meaning I want to get a new wife who can make a good curry. Now, how she ever could get out of, I, I really like curry, that I want a new wife, I've never been able to figure that out. But um, I've seen over the years that, you know, that, that happens a lot. So I need to 
Uh, I need to be thinking ahead when I'm saying things. You know, how is this going to be interpreted? Maybe there's a better way that I could say it so it's not misinterpreted. But one thing that you shared in the last couple of services that you didn't share in this one, but maybe you should. When we were young, uh, early on in the marriage, um, she used to threaten me with divorce all the time. That was just, you know, kind of just her way of trying to get some power in the thing. So just share about that. So I used to use the divorce word. And one time Brian said to me, Cheryl, if you knew how much that hurt me when my, when my parents divorced when I was young, you would never throw that word out at me. And I, you know, my parents never divorced, so I didn't know the pain that was involved with Brian and his childhood. And because it hurt him, I chose never to use that word ever again. Murder, yes. Divorce, no. No. But, but as you said before, had I used that word with you, had I, had I threatened you with that, that would have crushed you. That would have Absolutely you. crushed me. Yeah. Absolutely would have crushed me. I can, again, I want respect, but I don't want to give it. I mean, I'm getting better. I'm not like up here, like I'm still like this. I, you know, I'm, I'm 95% better. Seriously. Therapy has really helped. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Therapy with Jesus, the word of God, the Holy Spirit. But it's, it's that respect. And although respect is her topic, um, but I, I want to just jump over into it for a second. Because, of course, as husbands, we need to be, speak respectfully, too. And um, I know, you know, I mean, guys, I, th- I think we're all similar in this way. I, I don't, it's really hard to hurt my feelings. I'm just not a feely kind of a guy for the most part. So... I mean, most of everything that she's ever said to me just is like water off a duck's back. I don't even think twice about it. But I know that she's different than I am. I know that she's very, very sensitive. And if I said the kinds of things to her, they would, they would really crush her. And I would just uh, say you know, to you men, we talked last week about you know, never being abusive and, and not just physically abusive, but verbally abusive. And uh, I've known occasions where, you know, guys have just said the cruelest things to their wives, even in my presence at times because of the counseling I do. And I just thought, wow, you know, if I, if I said something like that to my wife, it would crush her and it would, not just the moment I said it, but knowing her nature, it would go on and on. It would be very hard for her to forget that I had said that. So we need to be respectful as husbands in our you know, the way we, the way, you know, I'm talking about allowing for the fact of conflict and all those things, you know, that's true, but we need to be really, really careful in those conflicts, in the things that we say. And there are certain things that just should never, ever, ever be said. And so um, find nice ways to address yeah, find nice ways to say mean things. That's what Cheryl just said. <laughs> that, that's what I was trying to say. So, so moving on to the third point here and our final point together. And we were, we were kind of struggling with, you know, what we wanted to say on this point. And for me, I, I just kind of put the heading love and happiness. But, you know, the thing is, 
Of course, this is the desire of every person, right? Happiness. This is the desire, I think, of every married couple. If you ask people, well, what do you really want out of your marriage? I think most people would say, well, I want to be happy. But here's the thing that we don't realize. If you pursue happiness, you'll never find it. Happiness comes through love. If you pursue love, you'll get happiness. And the thing that I had in my mind, I think Cheryl does as well, is happiness is what you get when your love endures. One of the things that I find absolutely amazing is how things get better the farther down the road we go together in this relationship. And here we are after, like I said, you know, three and a half decades or so, and I'm, I'm amazed at how things just keep getting better. And again, sometimes people are, are tempted to give up. Sometimes they think, well, you know, I, the problem is I just got the wrong person and I need to get a different person. It's the grass is greener on the other side of the fence or hill kind of a thing. But the reality is that's not true. The person that you're with, ha- the road to happiness is with that person, staying with that person. It's learning how to love each other. That's where the happiness is going to come. So don't mistakenly think that, well, if I could just get out of this marriage and get into another one, then everything would be perfect. No. Happiness increases. Happiness in marriage increases as you journey through the seasons of life with one another. We need to stick it out because really the best is yet to come. And, you know, when we first got married and maybe those first 10 years of the marriage where we had a lot of the different conflicts and things, you know, I was never thinking so far down the road like, wow, when we're married 20 years or 25 years or when we've been married 30 years, you know, I wasn't so much thinking like that. But now that we have been, I, I marvel and say, wow, I never knew it would be this amazing. I never knew it would be this great. And I never really expected it to just keep getting better. But that's the truth. Because what's happening is the longer we live together, what we've, what we've been doing together, uh, I was 23 when we got married. Cheryl had just turned 20. Uh, we've been growing together. We've been growing in the Lord. We, we, we grew as uh, just human beings and maturity and so forth. And now, you know, we've got all this history behind us now. We've, we've raised our four kids. We've got five grandchildren. We've got uh, different life experiences and, you know, lived in different places and have friends and all kinds of different. And, you know, we just have this life that's so interwoven. I couldn't imagine doing life, you know, without her. I couldn't imagine saying, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trade her in for somebody else and, you know, try to do this whole thing all over again. No, this is, this is where we wanted, even without thinking about it, this is where we wanted to arrive at, where we've got that history and we've got that enjoyment. We've got that connection with our own children and our grandchildren and, and just all of this uh, connectedness in life. So uh, remember this again, happiness is what you get when your love endures. So stick with it. Be faithful. Hang in there. Just know that if you do things God's way, 
and you press through the, the fluctuating emotions and you press through those times of conflict, there's, there's blessing. The best is yet to come. All right, so respect when it comes to happiness. Proverbs speaks of a variety of types of men. You've got the fool, the wise man, the poor, the rich, the perverse, the lying, the humble, the honest, the proud, the lazy, just to name a few. But there's very few types of women. There's the immoral, there's the wise, there's the foolish, there's the contentious, which is a woman that doesn't respect or appreciate, and there's the virtuous. As far as the contentious woman, it says in Proverbs 19.13, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. These women make their environment miserable. Proverbs 21.9 says, better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than a house shared with a contentious woman. These are encouragement. Just take the encouragement that you get. Proverbs 21.19, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious, angry woman. Proverbs 27.15, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. These are the women nobody wants to be around. On the other hand, the virtuous woman, according to Proverbs 31.26, opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. This is the woman that we want to be. We want to be those women with the law of kindness on our heart, on our, in our lips. But it's got to start in our hearts. According to Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the mouth will betray what's really going on in my heart. So it's, it's got to work in my heart. If those words are coming out, then there's a heart problem that I need to work on, that I need to take before the Lord. I can't blame others for what's going on in my heart. Others only prove what's inside my heart. I have to present my heart to Jesus and say, you know what? I obviously am holding something or carrying something that needs to be cleansed out, needs to be gotten rid of, because I would love to have kind words be the law of my mouth, to be the rule that guards and dictates what is said. So it has to begin with my heart. According to Romans 12, 2, Paul said that we have been transformed, that we might prove what is that good and excellent will of God. It's very easy to be critical. You know, we can always find that needs improvement or must be fixed. You know, we women, we're really good at the honey-do list. You know, honey-do this, honey-do that. But we need to have the honey-done list. He's done this, and this is done, and this is good. We need to prove or to bring out or to see the good and the excellent. And that can only happen by the transformation of the Spirit. It's got to be the Spirit of God working in us to transform and to bring out that excellent. Again, it's got to be a work of the Spirit. I love this quote by Bishop Philip Brooks because he says this. He's the one who wrote um, Little Town of Bethlehem. But he said, do not pray for easy lives. And I would say, don't pray for easy marriages. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work or the doing of your marriage will be no miracle, but you will be the miracle. 
God wants to use your marriage. And he, he wants it to make, be a miracle. You could say, we ran out of this. I ran out of respect. He ran out of love. But then God came and gave us a greater love and a greater respect. I'm a walking miracle. I used to spew mean things, but now Jesus is in me. And now I'm showing respect, not because Cheryl can show respect, but because the spirit of God has cleansed my heart and transformed me. And now I can show respect. We can showcase what a Christian marriage is about. We can teach this to our children. We want to be those miracles, these testimonials to what God can do. I never had a testimony. I, I can't think of, well, I was hyperactive. And I did get kicked out of the junior high uh, Sunday school class for crawling under the pews during a moody Bible movie. And I had to go to the tent where my dad was preaching. But I liked that. But I never really had a testimony. I married a testimony, but I didn't have my personal testimony. But you know what? My marriage is a testimony. I can say, yeah, we used to fight. It was hard, but it's gotten better and better and better by the grace of God and by the power of God working in both of us. And I can say our marriage is a miracle. And I'm a miracle of God, just like you're a miracle of God. And God wants to make your marriages a miracle. Amen. You know, a couple of people after the earlier services have said, and, and many people have said this to us in times, you know, where we've spoken at different uh, events, marriage things that I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, people appreciate the transparency. And, you know, look, we, we don't know how to not be transparent. I mean, that's just the way. <laughs> because if we, you know, if we got up here and pretended like everything was, you know, absolutely perfect all the time, we'd be lying to you. And, but in the end, I don't think that really helps anybody. Um, what helps is when we see that God, he takes imperfect people. And he works in their lives, and, he, and he's patient, and he's gracious, and he works over uh, long periods of time, and he, he grows us up and develops us. Because sometimes I think we wrongly get the impression that, you know, unless everything is just perfect overnight, somehow we failed. Somehow we're failing God, or somehow we don't have, uh, you know, uh, the right partner or, or that godly marriage or, or whatever. Not so. Not so. It's a process. It's a process of God's grace that is bringing us all uh, ultimately to perfection when we leave this world, but, but along the way, uh, maturity, becoming more and more like Christ. So in closing, I want to just uh, finish up by taking us back to 1 Corinthians 13. We read this uh, last week, and I wanted to read verses 4 through 7 again. And um, then I'll just make a couple of quick comments and we'll wrap things up. But there in verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is defining the word agape. So he says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. 
Now, when we read that, if you're honest, you think, wow, I don't have any love. <laughs> I don't know anything about, I, I'm, I'm not like a lot of this stuff. Uh, the, the one that stood out to me this week is irritable. Um, you know, Cheryl's very sensitive to me being, me being irritable. And when I get irritable, she inevitably thinks that I'm looking for that wife that can make the curry instead of her. Um, but sometimes it's just as simple as, well, honey, you know, actually, I ate a pint of ice cream last night. And sugar, you know, uh, you know I have a problem with sugar. And you know it can make me irritable. So it has nothing to do with anything personal about you. It's just my blood sugar levels are low. And I'm sorry. But, but as we look at this, we all see the reality is that we fall short of this, right? But here's the great news. There's somebody who lacks not in the supply of love, and that somebody is Christ. Christ has an endless supply of this love, and what we do is we tap into that. Because remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love. How, how am I going to become more like 1 Corinthians uh, 13, uh, 4 through 7? I'm going to become more like this progressively as time goes on as I just stay connected to Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit. He is the vine. We are the branches. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So listen, draw on that endless supply that he has for you. Go to him. As a husband today, if you're feeling like, you know, man, I just have been failing as loving my wife, go to the one who has the endless supply of love. He'll, he'll provide you with it. As a wife, maybe you're feeling the same. Go to him and ask him and know that he'll supply it and he'll keep supplying it over and over again as often as you return that will be available to you. Love never fails. And that's where we have to remember uh, that it's, it's all about loving one another. And as we do that, these other things, they all fall into place. And it's good. It'll all be good.